0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 606, the on-stage rumpus at Radio One's Big Weekend, the Secret World of Private Gigs, Are the BGs Overrated, and our Premier League review for 2023. That's all coming up after Squeeze and Is That Love. You've left my way.
1: Whenever we play something, for example, by XTC or Prefab Sprout, we always say how underappreciated they are. Mm. This band are the very exemplars of underrated. Terrific Beatles influence here. From the 1981 album East Side Story, Squeeze. And is that love?
2: marvellous choice and very much agree and underappreciated by me as well because i'm thinking oh yeah we really must listen to some squeeze um mm. it's it's very there is just so much stuff now terence there's I so know, much music and it's really that. hard mm. to keep mm. up with it but you know when i'm listening to spotify and i listen to my plays on spotify and it stops they then give you more songs you think how have i not heard this this is great oh, there's no. just Stuff everywhere, said so It's too,
1: overwhelming, is... Juliet. But
2: not to take away from Sweeze, who yeah. are excellent and should be appreciated more, as you so rightly say. Good morning, well, everyone. <laughs>
1: welcome to episode 606 of the Parish Council. I'm Terrence stackham And well <laughs> are the press stories true? Is she the new face of Soccer Saturday on Sky Sports? Let's ask Juliet Harris. Hello. Um,
2: I don't know. I've not been told yet. So presumably the oh, you know. Yeah. I yeah. think my agent might be negotiated, but given I think right. my agent might be you and you sound as in the <laughs> dark as me, I sense it might not be happening again. Good morning, all.
1: Well, it's only a week or two since we were discussing a punch up on stage between members of the band The View and mm. uh, the, the trend for on-stage truculence has continued.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. On-stage truculence. We'll have two more from them later on in tonight's Uh, uh,
1: programme. Referring to the bizarre antics of the rock duo Royal Blood, Mm. who appeared at Radio 1's Big Weekend last Sunday. They're they're one of these bands with a smallish but very loyal fan base. In their case, their three albums have each uh, reached number Mm. one in the UK, but they've never had a top 40 single. Now, It's arguable that Royal Blood's style of rock might be out of place on a bill where the crowd are waiting for Mm. Niall Horan and Louis Capaldi. So in those circumstances, really professional level-headed bands would work doubly hard to win the crowd over. Is, Is that the route Royal Blood took, Jules? I'm a for, I regret to
2: inform you, it is not the rude oh. royal who, by the way, have had a reputation for a very long time for being rude and unpleasant to uh, people during the music uh, industry. Uh. Yes, I, I'd heard stories about them from reasonably near to me. They're from Worthing, so so my part of the of the of the world. But um, I was discussing this with a friend of mine earlier in the week, who is a um, a, a, a a music writer and uh, lives in the Yorkshire area, and said they. Gave a really and a word I can't repeat here interview. They mm. gave like a really poor interview to some poor sod who tried to get a story on them for Leeds Student Paper. when they were on the way up in 2012 or so when I was a m- mature student. Writes my friend. I've heard things about them. Um, his view is that the major label money turned them into entitled so and so's. My view is is really poor behaviour from them on stage at Radio One, uh, criticizing the um, criticizing the audience for not appreciating them. Um, he. Uh, Uh, that Mike uh, uh, felt that the uh, audience were insufficiently excited. So he said, well, I guess I should introduce ourselves, seeing as no one actually knows who we are. We're called Royal Blood and this is rock music. Who likes rock music? He got more cheers than you would expect, given that he just effectively slagged off 80,000 people. And it wasn't enough. And he said, nine people, brilliant. The drummer, Ben Thatcher, was swigging tequila straight from the bottle on stage because they are so edgy. And... um, Idiot. There was there have been there have been a lot of um obviously Twitter and the and the and the social media internet sphere has reacted to this with the usual humour that one would expect it's extremely good um imposing the words over various different footage city and Sweep is my favourite <laughs> use of this by the way sweep is of course punk rock we all know this but um there's an excellent article on this whole sorry escapade. And by the way I can I don't have any sympathy for the way they behaved at all but. <laughs> And perhaps it's more of a reflection. I think we talked about this previously on the podcast of the decline of sales and the charts and that it's not so hard to do well in the charts anymore because you don't have to sell so much. Mm. Royal Blood have had three number one albums in the UK. Mm. That's very easy to forget that. Laura Snape's written an excellent piece on this in The Guardian. Fantastic headline. Thank you, Royal Blood, for heralding the death of real music. And it's a good, good summary of, you know, the kind of tedious boards that insist that they make. (laughs) real music and that there is such a thing as real music. And you had to sort of say it like that and pause with the sort of yes. portent. Um, a lovely opening paragraph from Laura's Napes. The succession finale reveled in the nuanced pleasures of its own. Overplay your hand and you're as good as dead. Grease the pole too fervently, and you'll find yourself stuck at the top with only one fateful way down. But as far as The Weekend in Schadenfreude goes, series creator Jesse Armstrong had strong competition from British rock to <laughs> open your blood. And I do feel similarly about this. And There was also an excellent version of uh, Ernie and Bert Father Teb and Father Dougal, um, they have been roundly mocked, which I'm glad about, frankly. I'm not usually glad when people are, are nasty and teasing to other people. I very much feel the same way up here, I think. And there is something about this. In the past, you would have had something like the, the failing enemy taking up the cudgels of royal blood thankfully, and I say this with a little bit of sadness and wryness, given that once upon a time I would have been very much in favour of this real music dim-wittedness, and for that I'm extremely sorry, but I have at least admitted that I've grown up now and Mm. attempted to do so. Um, Thankfully, no one cares anymore about what is (laughs) real music. In the world of Spotify, everyone's music habits brilliantly have become much more, you know, as we said, the the, the algorithms to some extent you know, might might point you towards similar-ish types of music. But there is such an opportunity, as we were referencing at the top of the programme, to, to to listen to different things, to enjoy different things. The silos have gone now, I think. I, I think there are still some tribes amongst young people. But the way that young people particularly consume media like YouTube and Spotify and things like that it's TikTok. not le- yeah exactly So oh, I forgot about the TikToks thank mm. you for being relevant um i i just feel that there aren't these silos anymore and that you can listen to anything on Spotify and everything and people do and people enjoy it. And so th- this, this gang just seems so tediously in the past, the idea that they are, they are pumped. They're pumping up. As I said, somewhat cynically, I say somewhat cynically, the word somewhat doing quite a lot of heavy lifting here um, to my friend when describing about this, um, you know, about the Royal blood clip. I said, good, uh, good, good, Luck down the clubs, guys. To which my friend said, I've heard stories about them being insert word here over the years. To which I said, Yeah, me too. I suspect we will get a sob story about drink at some point. And I just, I just feel that, you know, it's obnoxious behavior. I get, I, we will probably end up with a this is not who I am statement at some point, won't we? Because we inevitably <laughs> always do. But yes, like you, massive sigh just generally. Mm. And, and yeah, it just really does seem to be incredibly incredibly tedious I think I mean you've got bands as, as Lawrence Snape's references like the 9, 7, 1975 who also occasionally irritate me but are also trying to deconstruct rock music and do more interesting things I quite like Royal Blood's music but it's quite limited ultimately you know the Radio 1 audience felt the same didn't they?
1: yeah i mean to be honest i've just got some very simple advice for mm. mike kerr and ben Thatcher, <laughs> which is just grow up you know mm. i mean there was a great word you used um entitled i mean how entitled do you have to be to expect yes. a crowd that hasn't actually specifically to come, see come to see yep. you yeah to cheer and scream like you're some sort of rocking messiahs from Worthing, as you say. The, the front man behaved like David Brent. It was excruciating. and um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: He
2: did. That's a great comparison. <laughs> they should change their name to foregone conclusion, David <laughs> Brent fans, and have done with it.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, festival audiences, if you're going to play a festival... Yes. Festival audiences need to be treated differently. Mm-hmm. Do do a couple of cover versions. In this case, um do a Lewis Capaldi song. That with a crowd would have
2: been yes. far more empathetic Great. and
1: loved them for That's it. That's a
2: very shrewd piece of advice. These are just remember, silly boys. Absolutely. I can't remember told this story on the podcast before, but it's worth telling, I think, talking about festivals and what you should do at festivals. Mm. I went to a festival called Witchwood, which I think might be taking place this weekend, or it might have been last weekend. It takes place on Chelsea. Race it's become quite a big deal now this would have been in 2009 i think when it was still sort of fairly newish sophie ellis baxter i think is one of the headliners this weekend so so it's it's hmm. not huge but it's a it's a it's a very good little festival i don't know if it's 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 increased in size i'm still on the mailing list and um Three nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there was it's it sort of I would say it was kind of vaguely alternative, vaguely middle class, sort of like a smaller, less guardian supplementary latitude, I would say, on Cheltenham Race course. We had to be guided past one of the fences at one point, which I found quite entertaining by mm. Stuart in order to get from the campsite to the main arena. But um as things like you know, it does have alternative stages there's quite there used to be a lot of children's activities involved i think that's still the case but they would have bands um we saw uh sound of radio one little boots um on the saturday afternoon very impressed by her but um amongst all the kind of we saw bellowhead um it's the sort of place where trans global underground headline the sunday night mm. i can't you know and i think i might have bought some tie-dye you know that kind of place mm. and and we ended up um watching two bands that really couldn't have been a better dichotomy of what to do and what not to do at a festival, right. both getting with S, helpfully. On the Friday night, we watched Super Fairy Animals, who were the headliners, very excited about that and um, really looking forward to seeing them. I still think that Songbook by them is one of the best, best of you can buy. It's really great. Very excited to see them. I assumed they would do songbook because they're headlining a festival, aren't they? So you just do all of your singles and and that sort of thing. So they came on. Everyone very excited to see Superioles, you can imagine. They came on. They did a song and my friend went, what's this? And I said, I don't know. I've not heard this, Uh, which is not a great way to start your set, in my view, given that I had a reasonably good knowledge of them Mm. and had a few of their albums. They then then said hello to everybody. And they went, right, so here's the plan. And my friend then said in panic, what plan? It's a festival. There's no (laughs) plan. You just play hits. Mm. To which they said, our new album came out in March. This was about May, June. And my friend went, oh, no. no. And they said, so we're going to do the first half of our new album, Uninterrupted and then some hits at the end. And they did the first half of the album and it was fine. I can't say it was anything other than fine. The super fairy animals are good. Gruffrey's is very talented, really like them. But I could see people melting away, you know, when when it and and then it and then I still remember I said to someone once, when we talk about the loudest things I've ever heard, you know, aircraft, blessing my friend Zilla on the telephone, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the roar of relief that went up around the field when they broke into slow life about 40, 30 minutes into the set was massive. They did that. They did three more songs. They then did a 15 minute version of the man don't give up. And then they finished. And my yes, friend yeah. went, I'm not being funny, was what was that? And I said, I don't know. Let's go to the karaoke tent, which is always yeah. a way of dealing with everything in life. The next night. Saturday night headliner was Supergrass. And they came on, and I was with some people from Oxford who one of them lived next door to the drummer, I think. They all knew each other, they all knew him quite well. And they opened with Sun Hits the Sky. What a great song to open it! What we you know, how uplifting, how, how exciting. And they did a greatest hit set. There was one moment where they did a new song that the singer introduced about halfway through and you think, okay, fine. I think it might have been their new single. Other than that, they did a greatest hit set and the crowd went absolutely wild and they were brilliant. Supergrass were a great Saturday night party band. They were a brilliant booking for that festival and because they understood... What they were being booked for, the you know, even if they were playing to people that didn't know them. I mean, if you're the headliner, Royal Blood were not the headliner, and that's worth the point, worth making you. And you made the excellent point that Lewis Capaldi, who I believe was the headliner, if they'd done one of his songs, that would have been brilliant. Mm. But and they've had the humility and the self awareness to do one of those songs, that would have been brilliant. But I think the Supergrass versus Super Fairy Animals thing is a great example. It's not difficult if you lack if you don't have. Massive amounts of ego. If you can separate yourself from your work, if you can realize that people that are going to see you, yes, you're the headliner, so they may well have booked tickets on the strength of you, but equally they may well not have done that. Kids' face painting tent was really popular. Mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of people that just went to a festival with their kids to enjoy themselves. So, yes, su- uh, royal blood, be more super grass, be less super furry animals. <laughs>
1: um your super furry story reminds I I have mentioned this before but just mm. in a sentence or two of um when I went to uh, Ray Davis topped the bill <coughs> in Oh Hyde yes Park.
2: yes I um, remember you going John, to this yes
1: yeah Elton John was supposed to be the headliner but he, I think he got appendicitis and Yes had he was out.
2: unwell wasn't he Yeah he yeah. was
1: unwell and um it, on a very similar vein every time Ray Davis said well, it's, um, we, we, the lads and I have been putting together a new album we hope to have out in the next year or so. Here's a track from it. Everybody sat down and it was like, yes. Ah. Okay. And the minute the opening chords to Waterloo sunset, yes. everybody's That's on indeed. their feet, whoa. Um, and, and the whole set was interspersed with this. Well, it's a track I've been working on now for a couple of years. I'd like to play it for mm-hmm. you. Everybody starts heading for the bar. Uh the minute he starts playing an old kinks hit, hey, So mm. they they never learn is what what I say.
2: Absolutely. Um, and and you feel for the bar staff at that point because <laughs> you know, when when they hear a song they don't know, it's like, right, lads, get ready. There's, there's <laughs> you And by the way, I occasionally use the word lads in everyday conversation. I just wanted to make it clear to you, Satie, and to the listeners of the podcast, that the word lad is gender neutral as far as I'm concerned. Oh, so uh, so yeah. there we go.
1: Uh, Spending some time, as I do in Ireland, everybody, man, woman, child, uh, is referred to as lads. Come along, lads. uh, Absolutely, yes. Everybody. Indeed. There's a very interesting story in the New Yorker this week about the lucrative but sometimes murky world of the world's biggest performers and we're, we're talking or oh, you know beyonce level here making millions and millions of dollars playing at um, private bar mitzvahs birthday parties and weddings paid for uh, by the super rich to get these people mm. sting rod stewart elton katy perry to mm. play for them and a few of their pals one of several parts of this New Yorker story to make my eyes water, Jules, mm. was the revelation that in January of this year, Beyonce, playing a one-hour set in a hotel in Dubai for a small oh selected audience, received $24 million, Jules.
2: I mean, it's as everyone that listens to this podcast or has indeed ever encountered me in any sphere of life would know, it takes quite a lot to make me bit sleep speechless, but my jaw fell open when you said that. That is just I cannot understand. I was seeing once that PJ Harvey apparently charges twenty thousand pounds for a private gig, I you know, and and I think we might crowdfund fund this for my fortieth. Why not? But um, yeah, that is that is. I mean, you know, I just find that very. Uh, yeah, like you say, it's an excellent article in the New Yorker. I find that very. I just find it incredible. Also, I note that um, Flow Rider is referenced in this. Flow Rider, the rapper, who um is from Florida. That's where he came up uh-huh. with his name. Indeed, this is almost as good as the singer Halsey. I do I'm at this recently, by the way. Fun fact for pop fans listening. The singer Halsey, spelled H-A-L-S-E-Y, who uh, sang with cold uh, sang with the chain smokers as solo artists. She's called Halsey because it's an anagram of Ashley, apparently, which I rather like. Uh-huh. I think that's quite sweet. Anyway, Flow Rider. Makes me laugh that Flowrider is um is is uh, described here. Last time I saw Flo Rider, he had been bizarrely in 2021 co-opted by Sam Marino to perform for them at the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest. I don't know if you saw it that year. No. As, I, as I put it at the time, it's starting and halfway through my friends saying, my friends Tim and Susan saying, I'm not sure what Flo going is going to bring to this when they wheeled him out. The answer was incredibly little. It has to be said. As <laughs> I As I commented at the time when doing my Eurovision preview, Oh, They've basically effectively spent their whole GDP on getting Flow Rider, and he's still phoning it in, and they did not win. So, um, so it says here, uh, this is a, 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 a good description, I think. At ten o'clock on a recent Saturday night, the rapper Flow Rider was in his dressing room with a towel over his head in a mode of quiet preparation. Along one wall, a handsome buffet—lobster, sushi, Dom Perignon—much like a night round your your place, terence uh, yeah. sat untouched. Flo Rider, whose stage name honours his home state but is pronounced like Flo Ryder, is fastidious about his physique. He is six foot three, 220 pounds, again, like being at your house, Terrence, and often travels with a trainer. Though on this occasion, the trip was brief enough that he would do without. That afternoon, a private jet had carried him along with eight of his backup performers and assistants from South Florida to Chicago. By the following night, he would be back in his mansion in Miami. Flow Rider, and this is such a burn. Uh, without, it, I don't even think it's meant to be a burn, but it did. Uh, a rider who is 43 obtained celebrity in 2008 with his song "Low," an admiring ode to a Rubenesque beauty on the dance floor. I love the New York Times, Sir Terence. It is the greatest thing. Basically, he um his fee for private gigs in the US. Runs between a hundred and fifty thousand and three hundred thousand dollars. This whole thing could be um, could be summed up. He also played apparently um, a uh, a bar mitzvah in um, in Lincolnshire, um, which I thought was a county in the UK. It turns out it's also a well-to-do Chicago suburb, which I did not know. Um, yeah, it's it's private gigs are such and the ultimate nice work if you can get it aren't they is it's just Mm. seems and part of me thinks god it's greedy and avaricious and the other half of me thinks if russian oligarch you know the oligarchy you know if 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 rich families wanted to celebrate their, their wins you know if all these people are stupid enough to pay that amount of money if the market will bear that amount of money. I can't really be too critical of people like Flo Rida and Beyonce wanting to take advantage of it. Why not? You know, the, the music industry, as we often allude to on this podcast, we have done earlier this evening, with its difficulty in sales, with COVID having created difficulties with the live circuit, it could collapse at any time. Part of me just thinks if people are silly enough to pay this amount of money, if people are so disconnected from reality that that's how they want to spend their money, you know, can I be too critical of Beyonce and Flo rider? Probably not. Not really. And maybe I'm just tired and unidealistic. But a part of me thinks, you know, if that's what you want to do, where I do feel sorry for people. And this is a, this is not a music story, but it's a comedy story. But it relates to the world of, of, of private appearances. And again, this links back nicely, Sati, to what we were saying earlier about know your audience and know why you're there. A friend of mine that I, there's a, a city lawyer that I used to go on the train with, told me a story about someone he knew. I think they, it might have been a client of his who, he was a media lawyer, this friend of mine. So he acted for a lot of the great and good. And this family, um, were putting on their, their eldest son's bar mitzvah. So as you can imagine, a very high, you know, high status occasion. And they had a party after the bar mitzvah in somewhere in London. And they booked Michael McIntyre to do a private gig. And, you know, Michael McIntyre. And they paid something like and this would have been years ago now. This would have been a decade ago, I would say. When I know he's still famous. When Michael McIntyre mm-hmm. really was absolutely everywhere, and you know the ma- everyone could do the mm-hmm. man draw routine off by heart and all that kind of stuff. And so they bought Michael McIntyre, and I think he did about. Mm, 30 to 45 minutes, I think. So a standardish sort of club headline set length of time. Not an arena show, but you're not booking him for that. You're booking him to do a turn at your do, aren't you? They paid something like £500,000. Oh, it was a Lord. ridiculous amount of money. But then having said that, Michael McIntyre was one of the biggest stars on TV at that point. So you think, OK, well, well you know, if they want to pay that, fine. The problem with this, t- Sir t was not the fact that they paid this much money. Hmm. Michael McIntyre turned up early. Very nice. Very obliging. Mm. Photos with granny, all that kind of stuff. Got on stage and did the most blue routine. Oh, no. was effing and blinding. This was a bar mitzvah. Oh, so no. the
0: entire
2: family were there. He was effing and blinding in front of granny he'd just done a photo with. And oh, they were absolutely shocked because don't book Michael McIntyre to do that. You book cuddly, friendly Mm. Michael McIntyre, Mr. Game Show, you know, primetime Saturday, you book him to do that. So people that are paying lots of money for private gigs, make sure the people you are booking know what you're booking them for. Because I, I, Mm. and actually, for all that I can't judge Beyonce for taking 24 million quid from someone that's willing to pay her it for an hour, I can criticise people like Michael McIntyre, who... Are just incredible. Who, who you know misread the gig they were meaning mm-hmm. to do, and were happy to to laugh all the way to the bank whilst everyone else
1: cringed. Generally, if someone with more money than sense wants to play, um, uh, pay sorry, uh, Paul yes. McCartney, ten million dollars to play yes. on some private Caribbean island, that's up to them. But the. The the overwhelming issue I think mm. from this is that of um, pop washing. In in some yes. of these cases, there are oh, some yes, yes. despicable rulers and regimes in this mm. world, and many of these artists seem only too glad to look beyond that and head off with um, with the breathtaking amounts of money. But when it comes from Gaddafi in Libya, and I mean, step forward there, mm. Mariah Carey and Nelly Furtado. Yes, indeed. Who, to and, be
2: fair, did express regret. Although uh, having said yeah. that, I note that the rest of the performers announced plans to donate their windfall to charity. Mariah Carey did
1: not. Right, and um, as reported in this piece, Jennifer Lopez yes. singing "Happy Birthday" to the president of Turkmenistan, one of the most repressed countries in the world. You know, that's, I particularly
2: uh, oh. enjoyed that. By the way, the um, the spokesperson said afterwards. Um, Had there been any knowledge of human rights issues of any kind, Jennifer would not have attended. So basically, had Jennifer Lopez or anyone around her opened a newspaper or gone onto the Internet and Googled Turkmenistan,
1: presumably they would have pulled out. Yes, this is a good point. Uh, Money talks Mm. (sighs) coming right up. (laughs) Presenters who can't do anything other than present.
2: <laughs> like us, you mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, yes, I didn't think of that. And, and are the Bee Gees really all that? That's next after Churches.
2: But um, I I don't listen to them as often as I should. And I found an old pile of CDs in my flat. And I could say this any day of the week, City, but I found an old pile recently and um, and discovered I didn't realize that I had a hard copy of their debut album, um, which I think I bought in a dancey sort of job lot some years ago. And I put it on. And it sounded absolutely marvellous. I hadn't heard it in too long. I thought it was really good. And so I thought I would pick a, a tune for us this week. The Bones of What You Believe is the name of the album. Perhaps best remembered... For the mother we share, which I think I might have picked possibly on on this podcast previously, but this is the second track from that album. Um, Lauren Lauren Mabry, by the way, the the singer of churches is a very interesting figure. She's a, a writer as well, and and has written some good pieces on um on all sorts of things, particularly on misogynistic behavior in the music industry. Um, she's um she's really talented, I think, and I I find her really sort of um she's done quite a lot of um. She founded a feminist collective in Glasgow. She's written in The Guardian. She's a patron of Rape Crisis uh, Glasgow. She's done a lot of stuff for... um, WaterAid, the Yellow Bird Project, um, She's um, you know been involved in US politics. She's an interesting figure. That was um, churches, although for the purposes of, um, well, I used to complain about bands that spelt their name in stupid ways, and it was pointed out to me that people do it to get around internet search engines nowadays. So we are spelling churches, C-H-V-R-C-H-E-S, all in capitals, and that was WeSync.
1: Yes, nice track. And like it was you, you actually that explained to me some years ago about Mm. why they spell their name Mm. so oddly and to do with Internet searches. Otherwise, I, too, would have been thinking, oh, what are you doing? But it it does make sense. It's
2: really clever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the aspects of the miserable Philip Schofield business Mm. is that he is a prime example of someone who gets paid a great deal of money for not doing very much and you know I I accept that one has to learn the art of staying calm and focused on live television while a producer or director is telling you things in your earpiece but that that, that skill simply comes from experience and there are an ever-increasing number of people some well-liked some perhaps, I suppose, really even really loved for their roles. Yes. But true. Schofield, mm. Claudia Winkleman, Dermot O'Leary, mm. they don't sing. They don't dance. They don't tell jokes. They don't act. They are just their jewels. That's just what they do.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? It's a curiously modern phenomenon. Yeah. But having said that, I was thinking about this earlier, thinking, is there anyone, any equidiscant thing? I suppose, did Kathy? woman from ready steady go and ever do anything other than present
1: no no so i, so I
2: suppose I mean, maybe she danced
1: a bit at the at the start of the show yes but, but that, that was
2: for the purposes of the show out, wasn't
1: but, it uh, yeah. really
2: but uh, but and that makes me think maybe yeah. it's been people over the years that have just presented um it's interesting. I the, the, the I, I will slightly step in to defend Claudia Winkleman a little bit because she used to present on BBC Radio 2 quite a lot. She used to do the art show on Friday evenings. And I have to say that she is, I think, and, and you know, it's, it's up to Claudia Winkleman what she does with her career. She does a lot of TV presenting, but she has a very, very keen wit which often comes across on Strictly Come Dancing when she's doing the, um, uh, uh, when she does the, 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 you know, the pieces to camera and stuff. And I always feel that Claudia Winkleman is a lost great radio broadcaster, really. I wish she did more of that. I suspect that, obviously, as we've discussed previously, you know, the money is in television. She likes doing that. Good for her. She's very good at it. But like you say, it is a bit of a weird phenomenon that, you know, people like... um, I suppose Kat Dealey is another example that went off and Patrick Keelty, her husband, that went off to make their fortunes in America. And Dermot O'Leary, like you say, who did make a recent acting appearance in an episode of Inside Number Nine. But he was playing himself as the presenter of a radio show. so um, So perhaps not so much acting required there. Yes, there are certain figures who, like you say are just sort of known for presenting there are some figures that that present because they're known for other things and that's more of a music thing i think so um people like keris matthews um that present things sometimes or lauren laverne they were initially in bands and then went into presenting through through that route sometimes you see actors that present things on tv and sometimes we see actors presenting um battle awards uh, we saw um comedians we saw um Rob Beckett and Ramesh Ranganathan, who I met many years ago, by by the way, when he was the compare for an act that I was appearing at. And we spoke at the bar about what we wanted to really do with our lives. I'm glad he's not a teacher anymore. I'm still mm. a lawyer, but never mind. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so, yeah, like you say... I'm not sure. I think they've always been presenters. I mean, you know, if if they are again, this tracks back to what we were saying previously about, you know, if there are people willing to pay for this, if if they do that and they're good at it. It is a skill, I think. I I mean, presenting on live TV is a skill. It is it is tricky. And, And I think I think we spoke previously about how we're now both completely in love with Hannah Waddingham.
0: Mm. following her
2: brilliant performance mm. on eurovision presenting eurovision she was an actress and it well, was she still is an actress in ted lasso and a singer she was known as a as a sort of she was known in the west end before she was known anywhere else as a kind of singer who kind of you know all-round entertainer i guess and there was a, a it might be worth you looking this up before she did present the Eurovision thing she went on this morning and I know that's a program that almost one shouldn't be talking about mm-hmm. it, but she went on this morning to talk about that. To, to talk about the fact she was excited to be presenting Eurovision and she did say I've not really done any presented before and there was this very funny scene where they all of a sudden ambushed her with an earpiece and it did seem to be a genuine ambush she did look quite surprised and horrified and they were like saying well, so this is how you present on live TV and they put the earpiece in and I think people forget that you do have a, prese- a, a producer Shouting at you pretty mm. constantly in your in your sort of earphone. I've seen it to a lesser extent on the radio, and I I feel I feel like I'm always telling you the same war stories, sir T. So I am sorry, but when I went on uh, Ryland's program and I went into the studio, it was really interesting for a radio fan like me to see how it worked because Ryland was you know sort of presenting. But when the records were on, or just before, the producer would shout from the booth, right? This is going to happen, and then you're going to do a trail. And can you talk about this? And can you and can you can you trail that? And so you're constantly as a presenter but it's not like acting where you learn a script Mm. it's not like singing where you know the song you're kind of being told what to do almost in real time when it comes down to it there has perhaps been a rehearsal so i mean it is a skill i'm not it's not just a case of reading off an cue. i mean i i was very delighted at close quarters to see when we went when I was a contestant on eggheads, I saw Jeremy Vine presenting an episode of Eggheads. And he is a smooth, smooth man, said Terence. And you could see gliding and went, hello ladies, I've experimented with walk-on music and there was music blaring out of an iPad. Can anybody tell me what this is? And he was he was a delight. He was a very nice man. But um they were filming five or six of those a day and you could really see how they did that. He really was the Rolls Royce of presenters. He could smoothly read off the autocue. There are a couple of things he said wrong and they went, OK, we're going to do a couple of pickups. He would do those and they'd slot him in. And I think it took us 41 minutes to record a half an hour programme. I mean, it really was seamless and so there is an art to it I think and there is a skill to some extent it's the art of repetition and to some extent it's the art of the format isn't it Dermot O'Leary presenting X-Factor I almost know what he's going to say before he does you know in terms of in terms of that I mean, so that I, I, I'm willing to think it is a skill. I'm not sure how either of us would cope if we had someone constantly shouting at us in our ear and we were trying to, do, you know, we were on live, particularly live TV. I think live TV is a kind of a, a white knuckle ride of its own. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, again, mm. I'm being very mild mannered this week. I'm sorry, Sir T. Feel free to pile in right? and be cross.
1: <laughs> not at all. No, I mean, I, I see it's a different, perhaps a different type mm. of skill, but mm. I, I know I'm going back a very long way. But mm. a generation ago, the, these the present roles I'm talking about, I I do see the difference between some of the people that you're describing who perhaps undertake a more um, deeper role, but I'm just talking about these people who present um rather lightweight shows.
2: Like and, Kate but, Thornton, Holly you know, to yeah, some extent. Well who we they, now have to call our Lady Saint Holly Willoughby and people Fern Cotton perhaps people like that.
1: presenting roles were generally taken in the past by all rounders like Bruce Forsyth mm. and Jimmy Yes, That's yes, Could well sing, could dance, could tell jokes. It's just a stark contrast with that modern presenter who has no journalistic background, for example, mm. but by being attractive and getting a job as a runner yes. on some job channel for children's show next thing they're presenting x-factor or eurovision or whatever mm, but actually, watch, just just go off um, off piece for a moment just very quickly because it's just something that's uh, occurred to me this morning and we're, yeah, we're, we're recording this on saturday morning the third of june um, yeah. i know no um philip schofield you know it, it has done wrong <laughs> that's clearly you know he's not behaved very well um but i'm beginning to get uh, uh, the, the coverage over the last, say, 48 hours, I'm getting rather concerned about Schofield himself because I feel it's gone from reporting to hounding. Uh, I mean, there the is
2: man. there is, there. I mean, the the, the, the interview with Amor Rajan yesterday was rather extraordinary, it's I must say, although, although interestingly, a friend of mine who works... In the domestic abuse sector, shall we say, mm. watched it and had some very cons- uh, and had some real points of concern around Schofield's plausibility and and some of the things that were said and, I, I, and I'm the sure. yeah, I'm not defending,
1: so, so, them, but no, just no, no, and, and that and, we're, yes, we're now do. sort of you know pile, there's such an internet pylon yes, that I'm I worried know. about his well-being.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I. I yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's I think the still will move on at some point. But I have noticed it's very interesting and I'm not defending the media here or doing what they always do. But it's quite I was interested from the beginning when it became apparent that there were no big media figures piling out to defend Philip Schofield. I thought that was very interesting. Usually in those circumstances, one would one would jump out. But this goes back to, you know. I believe his management let him go over his dishonesty Thank as well. You. And there doesn't seem to be that force field around him anymore. And and it just yeah. goes to show, you know, some of the worrying aspects of all aspects of the entertainment industry and the collusion that goes on between certain high end people, high end managers and and, you know, and trying to keep the media on board and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe this story will move on. I don't know. It's interesting. It may end up going all the way to the top. Um, the chief executive of ITV. Um, there was a. There was. I'm very much enjoying the news agents podcast, which is um, the spin off. It was the America's people that have moved over. So it's Emily, um, Emily Maitlis and John Sapel and the excellent Louis Goodall, who is a really class act, I think, and makes me feel about 102 because I always refer to him as a lovely young man. My uh, my other half has to put up with me being slightly. In love with lewis Goodlow. but i think everyone is i think that's that's how it is but there was a good episode on the on the whole thing earlier this week which is worth checking out um which talks about you know the the possible danger to ytv here the possible danger to the chief executive and expressed some sympathy that to some extent if you're the head of a huge organization you know you you are you, this ends up you can't do everything and and you end up delegating and then, of course, as as the point that Philip Schofield made himself, what do you do when people lie to you? You can investigate all you want. What do you do when people swear blind that something hasn't happened? It's it's, but yeah, like you, I I, I this is, you know, Philip Schofield's interview was uncomfortable to listen to. I ended up listening to it without realising because I woke up and my radio alarm clock is Radio Four, and it was on today, and they played quite a long clip of it on today. So, I don't know. Hopefully, this will move on at some point. But it's it's yeah.
1: I just want to summarise my feelings. So I just want to make it clear, uh, you know, I, his behaviour has been indefensible. So it's, I'm not defending the indefensible. I'm just wondering how far do does um, one go in piling on? Will some of these people yes. I mean, be happy if... Um,
2: if he dies, if, absolutely. If he dies. Yes. I'm sorry uh, and, to be so blunt, but
1: one does you know, one that, go. That's what i was trying to say in a more delicate way, but you're right. Sorry, to so, yes. No, no, you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, is that the outcome that some of these... People want because that's not the outcome I want. I want him accountable, but mm. you know and to get the the truth out of all of this and how mm. far it goes up and so on and so forth, but the fellow doesn't deserve uh, to to be hounded to death over it uh, for mm. the Excellent Bob Stanley has a new yes. book published on the 8th of June. It's called The Bee Gees Children of the World, described by Pete Pavides on the cover as the definitive biography.
2: And, well, and this, is, this is all good, isn't it? I like the Bee Gees, really like Pete Pavides, exactly. really love Bob Stanley. So, so, oh, yeah, this is this, uh, is this is this is Premier League city so as well. I'm, I'm sure it'll
1: be, a, it'll be an excellent read. Um, There's no doubt. But this reminded me of my hesitation when the Bee Gees are lionized, and I wonder, not for the first Mm. time in in my life, is it just me? Mm. To be fair, maybe Bob Stanley agrees with me, because the opening lines of the introduction uh, in the book say, the Bee Gees didn't fit in, they never really made sense. And he goes on to refer to them as outsiders in the Mm. the introduction. Now, I mean no offense, but if you look now... (laughs) If you look now at particularly Morris and Robin in their gold lame suits and chest hair of the late (laughs) seventies, it's it's hard to imagine them if you look now as teen pinups. And I'm afraid this is a key point I want to ask you, Jules. I'm afraid I've never ever really been able to reconcile the falsetto voices. I've I've long wished to get access to those master tapes and lower the pitch of those voices. (laughs) I mean, how about you, Jules? Are you a fan of the falsettos?
2: Well, and the first thing I learned in reading this article in The Guardian about this book, and, you know, things that you never really sort of think about, things that you never really put your brain to, BG stands for Brothers Gib. Yes. Bee, that's, that's why they're oh, called Bee Gees geez. I never knew that, I mean I'd, I'd never really thought about why they were called the Bee Gees, anyway, my idiocy and lack of critical analysis aside, I do rather like the Bee Gees um, again, long time listeners will remember during one of the many lockdowns that we had for a couple of years, we watched um that Bee Gees film, didn't we <clears throat> which had the last surviving Bee Gees being interviewed, and it was very oh, moving yes, Barry enjoyed, yes, that was yes lovely Barry Gibb, we enjoyed that very, I thought that was wonderful, I, I cried like a child doing that that was very moving the thing that i we also however for the balance watched that terrible sergeant pepper film with them in which was oh i mean it was enjoyably rotten i don't know what they were doing doing that bless them i rather like the Gees. i'm i'm a bit of a fan um the thing that i like about them is they had such a long career that for me, they can do a number of things really well. And for me, I can see past their falsetto era. Although I have to say, from someone that does DJ sets and tends towards the disco at times, they remain dynamite in terms of getting people on the dance floor. Um, You know, the the big hits, Jive Talking, You Should Be Dancing, Night Fevers, um, Staying Alive. You know, I played I played staying alive at a family party recently and people were literally pushing each other out of the way to get onto the dance floor. They remain. There are people, you know, there are people that really love that still. I'm sorry that they were sort of battered around by the disco sucks movement in the US, which was racist. I know the Bee Gees were white, but it was there was such a horrible undertone to that. And blessed and reacted to that by making themselves into the premier Rolls Royce singer of sort of songwriters for hire in the 1980s, having produced some wonderful music. Island's in the Stream, um, for other people, uh, Chain Reaction, um, Heartbreaker, for Dionne Warwick, Chain Reaction um, Forum, for Diana Ross. I love their 60s stuff. I love to love somebody. I love their kind of proper sort of early years Beautiful singer-songwriting, as we, as you, as we, uh, I guessed and you told me last week, Massachusetts, the second ever record to be played on Radio One. I think they, I think they do. I think they're not just. It's a shame that, as you say, they became pigeonholed for the sort of falsetto stuff. Because really, I think that their writing was was really good. And actually, I was talking to someone the other day about. Well, comebacks, late period songs by gi- rock giants and and giants of music you like. I really liked Alone that they did actually in the nineties. I thought their nineties stuff was quite good. Um, I you know like unlike you, I can see past the falsetto and and I just you know I think they've done a number of things really well. And um, you know they. Uh, also memorable '90s moments when they walked off Clive Anderson as well, and um, and yeah, I I just you know I'd be interested to read this book actually because I would like to read a a perspective on them, particularly from someone like Bob Stanley who is so knowledgeable and also does great research as well and really does dig into a subject. Bob Stanley and Pete Wiggs' compilations they do for Ace Records are absolutely brilliant. Every every genre they turn their hands to, even very specific periods of time, they always find stuff that I never know about that are really interesting and really sort of overlooked. So I don't know if anyone can rehabilitate the, the reputation of the Bee Gees, it's Bob Stanley.
1: Well, let me be the first person, perhaps uh, ever, perhaps uh, in recent memory, to uh, analyse the lyrics. Let's oh, here we go. Oh, I'm so sorry about this. Often either <laughs> underdeveloped or just simply bonkers. Now, I'm going to give you three examples <laughs> of bonkers. And then I want to present one last one to you, which I know is going to make you um, well? change your view a little bit. <laughs> OK, fine. Yeah. All right. I, as you mentioned just a moment stream, I set out to get you with a fine tooth comb. Mm. what now i mean maybe maybe it's maybe he's singing to headlights. I don't know <laughs> an apple is a fool but lemons never forget
2: <laughs> I mean you know what, did you not know this, this well, a great it's a great he's a wisdom of life
1: Mrs. Gillespie, you know how to sell me. you made me blow my mind with things you tell me.
2: Uh, th- here, this, that's almost, I thought you were about to start doing Eleanor Rigby then, that had a very <laughs> similar media, didn't No,
1: here's my
2: uh, what, what, Is there someone darning their socks um, in, uh, yes, in the night, uh, indeed
1: Exactly. This one, Here's my piece to resist on, this is hideous
2: oh, go on. oh god, okay, is it any worse than Island Girl by Elton John, because that is still one of the worst things we've ever heard on this podcast All that I'll, terrible I'll, I'll song await I your view. view, this
1: is from okay. num- number one hit single in the 80s, You Win Again Oh, A a full verse I'm afraid I'm going to Uh Oh Oh, baby I shake you from now on I'm going to break down your defences One by one I'm going to hit you From all sides Lay your fortress open wide Nobody stops this body From taking you You better be there I swear I mean it's not great I mean
2: I had to say that's that's not ideal I mean you know does one drop poison a well? I don't know. But that is not pleasant. I agree. Uh, but pleasant. bad Bee Gees, Cancel them immediately.
1: <laughs> Bob Stanley's Bee Gees, Children of the World. It's published on the 8th of June 2023. Coming next, we look back at our football predictions for last season.
2: And mm, I mean, always a always a chastening
1: experience. Exactly. And we wish Jeff Stelling a happy retirement yes. from Soccer Saturday. That's right after the new single from Arlo Parks Falling
0: asleep, holding your puppy and your brochure.
1: march we played her then new single impurities yes and that track and the one we just played are both on her new album which was released this week i, I mm. think she's a really special talented singer yes, and me too writer. me too very well put this is her new single taken from that album my soft machine arlo parks featuring phoebe bridges and pegasus
2: Absolutely. And a very important artist for queer young women as well, I would say. Um, a friend of mine, I was t- discussing her with a friend of mine some some year, some time ago now, and uh, we were talking about because um, a friend of mine uh, who is a, uh, I don't think you mind me saying a, uh, a, a male sort of heterosexual um, said, oh, I don't get this at all. Why? Uh, why are six music pushing her so much? And I said, um, I really like Arlo Parks just as well, given how big six music have gone on her. So to which my my friend said, who is a a, a a queer woman, I wish she'd been around when I was a sad, scared queer teen, either as a singer or as my friend. She gives me hope for the kids. And I think that is very well put. I'm really glad that Arlo Parks exists and she's also fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I really do love her music very much. Um, Normally, there's some trepidation when we look back at our football predictions for the season just ended. But this yes. year, we did quite well with no we major We didn't do too badly, part.
2: actually, yes.
1: Uh, I got off to a flyer in our first category, mm. which was which team will win the championship. And you did well with Coventry, who lost only in the playoff final. Yes, indeed.
2: Um, to Luton, who, to uh, Luton. Who, who, who knows about how cunningworth Road will cope with the Premier League. We'll soon find out.
1: Um, Luke, I, I, here's my prediction already. Luton will be the yes. bottom of the Premier League mm-hmm. with probably the, the the lowest number of points ever. I improved. hope not, but I suspect
2: that. that's probably um,
1: right. No, I hit a home run by picking Burnley, who did indeed win it, Jules. Um, they
2: did, although pausing only to be beaten by QPR, who saved themselves by rele- from relegation by beating Burnley when they were ten points clear. So Absolutely. I will I will shout QPR at that point. But yes,
1: completely agree. Brilliant prediction. Of of which I mean, it was an extraordinary <laughs> stat that. Burnley only lost three games out of 46 in the That's league incredible. all season. That's one genuinely win. incredible. Yes. I mean, to put, it in con- put it in context, Sheffield United, who came seven, Burnley lost three. Sheffield United, who came second, lost 11. So wow. it just shows you how dominant Burnley were. And, and Very much so. Champion. First Premier League sacking, Juliet. You picked Bruno Large of Wolves, who was fourth to be sacked. So, good shout.
2: He did get sacked, yes.
1: He did. I hedged my bets with um, Super Frank at Everton, who was seventh, and Tuchel at Chelsea, who was second to be fired, behind poor Mm. Scott Parker at Bournemouth, who only lasted... Yes, poor old Scott. Poor old Scott. He lasted until the 30th of August, um, after they lost 9-0 to Liverpool. And uh, the poor fellow, Scott Parker, he went on to manage... Bruges in Belgium last season Mm. but only lasted 10 weeks before being let go only winning 2 of 12 games
2: poor old Scott Parker I feel feel he's a bit like um, Super Frank and I feel they should be excellent managers and yet it just doesn't seem to happen for them they were likeable Mm. likeable leaders on the pitch famous for sort of giving very good speeches in the dressing room and being inspiring and you think oh well in which case then surely they're going to be great great managers but do they lack the tactical new that you need? Do they do they lack the aura of, of indefe you know, indefeatability around them? I d I don't know. Um but yes, I have sympathies to Scott, who I've always rather liked, like Frank, and uh, I, I want good things to them. And I'm sorry they don't seem to happen.
1: Well, I've got nothing to crow about because my team, Chelsea, had four managers uh, across the season. I, I, that, is total...
2: ri- that is ridiculous. I'm sorry to say it genuinely is.
1: Absolutely. In total, an astonishing 15 managers were sacked in 2022-23. 20, oh, it's so hard to keep track. Only 9 teams finished the season with the same manager with whom they began the season. That now, is
2: very telling Do isn't you want it? a little
1: isn't quiz it? or shall I tell you oh. who these 9 managers are that that finished the season with the club they started the season?
2: Um okay, let's let's um Arteta at Arsenal. Correct. Um 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 uh Eight more to go. Ten Hag. Ten Hag. Good. N- that's that's two, isn't two out, it? Nine. Um uh, not your man at Tottenham, because he no, went, didn't he? No, he went. Um, oh, um, what's his name? Klopp at Liverpool. Klopp, good one. Three uh, out Pep, of nine. Pet Guardiola at yep, Manchester four. United. Um, now. Yeah, I think I might be running out of obvious gimmies. So I think you might have to assist him Thomas now. Thomas Frank at Brentford. Bit. Yes. A good, uh, who have had a wonderful season?
1: David Moyes, perhaps unexpectedly. Yes, at, uh, that's very
2: unexpectedly.
1: Marco Silva at Fulham. Yeah, also uh, did Steve- well. Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest. Ooh,
2: yes, who, throughout. Yes, we did cling
1: on? And of course, um, Howe at uh, Newcastle. Eddie Howe at Newcastle.
2: And do you know what is what is? Do uh, you know this is a chicken and egg scenario here? <laughs> Were. Have those managers kept their jobs because they were successful, or were those teams successful because they had the ah, continuity of are, keeping their yes. managers?
1: Who knows? That's yes, quite a good point. We each picked a surprise side, a team who hmm. would do better than expected, and we boasted well. You picked well, I mean, Brent...
2: the, the ironic thing is, is that we call it doing a Leicester, who, of course, have been well, relegated now. But anyway, right, we'll come yes, on we'll to, come to that. To sorry, to sorry yes.
1: yes. You, you picked Brentford, uh, who came ninth, and I selected Newcastle fourth.
2: Yes, yours, you won, I think. Newcastle uh, genuinely. They were the surprise
1: side. And they really were, yeah. I suppose we should also pay tribute to Brighton and Aston Villa, yes. who finished 6th and 7th respectively. Absolutely. That's really... and, first I mean, time ever. Absolutely. And Aston Villa, who were flirting with relegation under Stephen Gerrard, in comes Unai Emery, and suddenly they're charging up the Indeed. table. If he'd have been there from the beginning, they may have been in the Champions League. Yeah,
2: Stephen, Stephen Gerrard, another player, another Scott another Parker, and, Scott Super Parker Frank, and Super Frank, Frank. inspirational yeah. leader on the pitch, very much Goodness. admired. You know, not really. To, I mean, he did reasonably well at Rangers, to be fair, for a time. But, um, but yeah, not translating into into yeah. the into the, the the success they're having as managers is not reflective of the success they had on the pitch.
1: Well, I think if you put a dead chicken in charge of Rangers, they're still going to come <laughs> in the top two, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> You know, it's not you don't have the bottom three in the Premier the League. A
2: dead chicken could do my job at work, so Dave. Yeah. But if you made a dead chicken draft by leases, they'd still probably be. Good.
1: <laughs> bottom three in the Premier League were Leicester, Leeds, and Southampton. Mm. Um, I picked Southampton, we both picked. Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest who which weren't bad choices at all No. but as you mentioned the downfall of Leicester in particular yes. is a startling spiral down it
2: really is it's it's um I mean admittedly they've been touched by tragedy in recent years mm. that terrible helicopter crash oh. but um but yeah it like you say it's it's I've got a friend that's a Leicester season ticket holder that is completely disgusted um you know they he wonders if the um if the circus around the Vardis wasn't helpful, and I suspect that's probably true. Mm. <clears throat> but having said that, Leicester were in such a wonderful position when they won. They had some quality players. Admittedly, some of those, like Mares, went off to do other things. I mean, it's interesting that Vardy has stayed, but, um, yeah, it seems very um, it seems very strange to me. Like you say, they were in that position where they had the money. They could have, you know... They could have done a Manchester City maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. But um yeah, they didn't they didn't seem to build for the future and they seem to have paid the ultimate price.
1: Yes, they seem to have be been a club over the over the years that seem to seemingly have to sell star players to survive. Yes. You mentioned um uh, you know, one or two that left, and of course, go Kante and yes. uh, Schmeichel. It's a, it's a long list. Um, and I do think that if, um, as is almost certain, one or two of their, uh, Ben Chilwell, of course, by the way, as well, also to my Chelsea. Um, yes, the, the, uh, if they lose Madison and uh, maybe one or two other key players who. Almost certainly will go because they don't want to play in the Championship. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Leicester battling relegation in the Championship uh, next, next season. Yeah, they could I mean, spiral downwards so quickly.
2: It seems that, I mean, they could, you know, they could do an Oldham, couldn't they, really? Yeah, They're just for a Swindon yeah. being yeah. free for which is really trouble. Oh, by the way, top, uh, t- top fact, Sir T. Um, mm. My friend pointed out the other day that the establishment of the Premier League took place. The first season was ninety two ninety three. 93 I, kn- I know that you knew that. Yeah, In I order to, it for well. it to be established, um, you always give surprise quizzes on me. I won't yeah. embarrass you, but this is yeah. a quiz question for you and our listeners. Okay. Um. The, the, the teams that were in the top division in 91-92 had to vote on the establishment of the Premier League, vote in favour, mm-hmm. vote against. It was voted to be established. But, of course, three of those teams then went on to be relegated from the 91-92 uh, season. There is one single team who voted in favour of the establishment of the Premier League who have never played in it. Who is that team?
1: Is, is it? I'm only going to say it because you just mentioned them. You may have given a spoiler. Was it Oldham?
2: No, it wasn't, um, but that's a good guess. Notts County voted in favour of establishing the Premier League, never played in it. So that is your that is your fun fact for the weekend.
1: Well, I the top four finished were man city arsenal man united and newcastle and i mean neither of us expected the rise of newcastle, newcastle no be they quite were the so genuine
2: profound. surprise surprise package yes hell we, wind assisted by the saudi money of course well, indeed, but, um, we, which know, one, one may pop, have views pop, on yes
1: yeah we right. talked about pot washing earlier that's yes. was, you know sports washing isn't it indeed um, we both did pick Man City as champions.
2: Yes, I mean that was pretty much a foregone. Yeah. Having said that, Arsenal did very well in not making it a foregone conclusion for them. No, so, and I
1: I picked Arsenal in 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 my yes, selection, you did. but. I, and I only did that after watching them destroy Chelsea in a pre-season friendly. And I yes. thought, my God, they look good yeah, and we look terrible. I um, <laughs> had Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea. George, you, you, you picked Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Tottenham. Apart from Chelsea, they were all in the running. Um, but
2: Tottenham uh, fell away, it has to Tottenham be said. And, and at it, this point, may I point out that Alfred Friends of the podcast, regular listener and pal, Joe DB, um, always used to criticise us for ignoring Tottenham. So, Joe, I didn't ignore Tottenham this season. I did include them in my top four and they did not finish in the top four. So I'm just pointing that out. Ha <laughs> ha.
1: Even at this stage, it's hard not to pick Manchester City for next season, isn't it, Jules? Because they'll just buy yes. up, hoover up more of the world's best
2: home. yeah and it's, pre- it's pretty frustrating, really, because, I mean, it made an, ex- you know, it, it's a more exciting season when they, I hate to say it's a more exciting season when they fail. But yeah. I think a lot has to be said, firstly for Pep Guardiola, who seems to get it right all the time. But also, you know, when you get the big new phenomenon, there are all these players that we've heard of over the years that, that you know, that either just don't perform, that you know, that are, that are gonna be the next big thing, and then they don't perform, or they're one season wonders. Be interesting to see if Haaland is a one season wonder because my goodness me, he just seems to score for fun, doesn't he? I mean, we still remember Alf Inge Haaland, his father. Yes. Um, also fun fact about Haaland, um, he um where he grew up, um he held the well he held the national record for the long jump at the age of five for his year group. For his, uh, his age group, a very talented individual. but He's <laughs> probably I think,
1: already six foot tall then, I imagine.
2: Exactly. I mean, what, what do you, I mean, you know, seriously, from the perspective of other teams, what do you do if you are playing a team that has Haaland and De Bruyne in it and then has John Stones at the back? What do you do? How do you right. break that down? Where are
1: their weaknesses? I know this is why I say it's hard not to pick them for next season already, but we shall see.
2: Indeed. Manchester United, I think, may may be on the up again. It'd be interesting to see what happens in the FA Cup final today. Mm. Um, Yes, like you say, it'd be interesting to see how Arsenal respond to their disappointment this season, whether they do bounce back or whether whether they they have the difficult season next season. And of course, like you say, lovely to see some slightly more unexpected teams like Newcastle and Brighton and Aston Villa doing well. Mm -hmm. I hope they can sustain that success.
1: Now, before we wrap up, a quick word for um, Jeff Stelling, who has Mm. left Soccer Saturday on Sky Sports after 25 years. And yes, in an age of super fast smartphones and apps, the need for a breathless televised update is not quite so needed as it was when he started. True. Don't let that take away from an absolute professional succeeding in keeping the viewer engaged in a a tumultuous helter skelter of information live every week. A superb achievement, Jules.
2: Really agree. Fantastic. And it's interesting what you say about presenters, a really good presenter, just a really talented, able of. and, And this is where I think presenting is a skill. Able to, um, and you could say, well, perhaps he's a journalist, a football journalist, but but this kind of uh, ability to deal with whatever is thrown at you live, the ability to deal with Chris Kamara shouting at you from a live link and dealing with that. And, and there was a very touching tribute by Chris Kamara this week, um, saying, you know, you know, talking about his, his friends. And, you know, it was really lovely. And he said that he would get his tribute in early. And uh, he, he was just so, so lovely. He said... He said on Twitter... This Sunday sees the last day at Sky for the best broadcaster I've ever met, Jeff Stelling. I'm getting my tribute in early because Jeff has been a massive part of my life and I love him to bits. One of the things I do miss is working with the maestro. He said, There will never be another. You are unbelievable, Jeff, and always will be. What what will we do, Seti, in a in a world where Chris <laughs> Chris Kamara can't say it's unbelievable, Jeff? It's 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 you know an institution. I don't have sky, but if ever I am in a pub on a Saturday or near somewhere that might be showing a pub, I'm always happy to pop my head in, just in the hope that I will see Jess Stelling and Chris Kamara doing a doing a kind of a one two. For me, I love Jeff Stenning, but I also really love Chris Kamara. I, I love his enthusiasm, and I'm sorry that they're being broken up. I guess all good things come to an end. I re- I really hope that Jeff Stenning is retiring, and we don't see him joining the ghouls on GB News or Talksport or or similar, because I think, like you say, Jeff Stenning, the ultimate professional. Really brilliant. And yeah, to put a shift in, he didn't go down the terrible route that Andy Gray and Richard Keyes did. You know, he's always remained an absolute gent. And I just think what a what a star. You know, he'll be very much missed. Uh, Have a happy retirement, Jeff. I really hope that you do retire and that you have a lovely time playing golf with Chris Kamara. Please (laughs) do do that. Stay friends, it would make me sad if you didn't.
1: A long episode this week, so thanks very much for listening and yes, uh, oh, with is. us. Thank you very <laughs> much. Yes,
2: thank you for still being here. Um We just had a nice chat, and it's lovely that you wanted to listen to that. Lots of uh, As
1: you're, as you're not taking over from Jeff Sterling on Soccer Saturday. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: what? I, I thought I was. Did someone talk? No.
1: Well, if if that is the if that's the case, that you'll be continuing your you know, more time with your radio shows.
2: Oh well, yeah. Yes, and uh, hopefully there is an audience, uh, I said, limited audience, some sort of audience will be pleased at that. Um, You can listen to me in all sorts of ways. You can listen to me doing Smooth Sailing from 7 to 9 p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Previous episodes are on mixcloud.com. Search in Noisebox Radio's channel, and that is Yacht Rock, M-O-R-A-O-R, Nice relaxing uplifting vibes that's the that's the the drill there also have lost for words on Thursday evening from eight till nine on noise box, or there's a repeat at eleven o'clock when you're having your is settee on Tuesdays, or again, you can listen anytime to one on Mixcloud, and that is instrumentals of all or no genres and it even converted noted instrumental hater Sir Terence
1: stackham <laughs> indeed it did to uh, play us out a woman who Martin Luther King called the queen of American folk music.
2: Absolutely, and if and you know that is an endorsement to put on the cover of your book, isn't it? That is that is you know that's not exactly three stars from Empire, is it? That is that is a real, a real endorsement. What a, what a legend! Yeah, I love this song. I think it's got a so I didn't actually know what it was called. I knew it for years because I think it was used on an advert, and I've I've heard it and uh, uh, recently the mighty algorithm on Spotify threw it at me delighted to hear it i thought this was called i gotta be me um i don't think it is um i know it's called this and uh, a, a, again in this day and age it's very nice to be informed of a song and to find out about a song i always love this city when i know songs but you know i just i have never remember to look them up and then and then i find out what they are and that's always a pleasure this is odetta and this is hit or miss oh,
3: Hit or miss Baby, hit or miss. Look at you sitting there, all by yourself, listening to everybody. Everybody say, Be everybody else. Can't you see?